A young man gets into a bad car accident. His friend is actually driving, and uh, it's, it's bad. His friend dies right on the scene, and he doesn't remember a lot, but he's coherent enough to, to remember feeling someone pulling him out of the car to a safe place outside of the car some distance away. But the weird thing about it is that it's night, the middle of the night. And they're out in the middle of the country where there's nothing but farmland around. There aren't a lot of people. And he never saw the man or the person. He, he, uh, and when EMT crews show up a long time later, no one saw anyone else on the scene, just the victims. Now, uh, 50 miles away, the young man's parents get a phone call in the middle of the night telling them that their son has been in an accident. And you can imagine, and some of you have even experienced the panic and the shock that Uh, came over them in that moment. And so they jump in the car and they start driving to the hospital where they're taking their son. And the father who's driving is out of his mind panicked. He He is manic, he is crazed, and he's driving way too fast. And his wife keeps trying to tell him to slow down, but he won't have any of it. He just wants to get to his son. But she is over in the passenger seat praying that something will happen so that they don't get in an accident because she's now fearing for her life. And as they drive on along these uh, just back, dark, uh, blacktop two-lane roads, um, they, they see a car stopped ahead of them, and they have no choice but to slow down, and maybe out of curiosity, maybe moved by compassion because of the vulnerability of his son just a short time ago, he goes to see if this driver needs help, and he walks up to the window of the car, and it's an elderly woman who explains that she's on her way to the laundromat in the middle of the night. And she also explains that there's something wrong with her car. She can't get it to move. And he looks in and sees that the reason that she can't get it to move is because the car is in park. And so he explains to her that she needs to put her foot on the brake and shift out of park into drive. And, and it works. And she drives off gratefully. And, and something has now changed in the father. He walks back to his car and he's, he's back in his right mind. He's still terrified for his son, but he's... He's got a peace over him, and so he gets in the car, and they hurry along, but at a much more safe pace, they go to be reunited with their son in the hospital. Their son makes a full recovery, and to this day, the family still doesn't understand who it was who dragged their son out of the car to safety. No one was ever found, and they also still don't understand what that elderly woman was doing out on the blacktop roads going to the laundromat at three in the morning. I know another family who um, shared that years, um, years, years ago when their kids were younger, they were um, gathered around a campfire at a camping trip. That's how they spent their vacations. And, um, you know, when you're camping, there's not much to do but to sit around a campfire. And so that's what, some of you love that too. But um, uh, they're sitting around the campfire and uh, suddenly a, a young man comes riding a bicycle into their campground. And he appears to be maybe a, a nomad or a drifter type, but right away they, they just get a sense of, of warmth from his presence and they don't feel threatened at all. They find him very inviting and, and kind. And so they invite him to stay. And he hangs out with them and they feed him dinner and they hang out around the campfire together. And the campground's full, so uh, they invite this young man to pitch his tent next to their camper where they're sleeping and they have absolutely no concern. They just, they just feel like he's an okay guy. And that night they go to sleep and, and in the middle of the night, the father of the family has a dream that this, this man, this visitor, appears to him in the dream and the visitor tells him that they are soon going to have a son. 
and the son is going to become very, very sick. But the visitor says, don't be afraid because although he's going to become very sick, he's going to pull through. He'll be home in time for his first birthday and he will do great things for the kingdom of God. And the father wakes up in the morning and the, the visitor, the, the young man is gone. His tent is gone. There's no trace of him. But in about 10 months, they, he and his wife have a son who at eight months old gets very sick, spends weeks, if not months in the hospital, comes home right before his first birthday. And just to be clear, that son is not me. <laughs> there are no spectacular announcements of my birth. Um, I think the only thing that preceded my conception was one of my parents saying to the other, hey, don't we have a bottle of Manischewitz in the fridge? I don't know, I don't know, but um, that's about as good as it got for me. But, um, but, but this young man is someone I do know, a personal friend of mine who um, is doing great things for the kingdom of God. And still to this day, his family doesn't really understand what that was all about. Now, I bet in hearing some of these stories, we are already dividing into different camps. There are some of us who say, hey, there are good Samaritans out there and, and there are people who pull other people from car wreckage who don't want to be, you know, they don't want to get glory, they don't want to get questions, so they just, they come and they go and that stuff happens. Or, or a woman in the middle of the night on the road is nothing more than a woman who is probably in early stages of Alzheimer's and you shouldn't have let her car, you know, you shouldn't have helped her. You should have called for help. Like this woman is obviously very disoriented or confused or, or drifters come along and they're often strange and they have weird messages and you shouldn't make too much of it. And people have dreams and that's no big deal. And then there are some of us who look at the strange things that happen to us in life and we assign an even stranger explanation to those strange things. There are some of us who would look at those stories and say without question, hey, perhaps those were angels. Angels are kind of a, a big thing in our culture. They come up surprisingly often across races or backgrounds, ethnicities, religions. There are angel stories. And I, th I think we kind of all appreciate the idea that there could be benevolent spirits who are out there at work in our very dangerous and sometimes cold and hard world who are there to help people in their most vulnerable moments, protecting, shielding, coming to the aid of people, delivering messages, and yet, it's a, it's a pretty strange explanation. I wonder how many of you in here will admit to having an angel story. Or maybe, maybe it's not a firsthand story for you. Maybe it's a story of someone that you know or love or trust who's shared with you a story where you kind of go, I don't know what was going on there, but maybe it could have been an angel. In fact, if that's you, if you have one of those stories first, second, third hand, would you be bold enough to raise your hand? There are more of you at nine o'clock. That's just interesting. I don't know what that says about those of you who sleep later, but um, no, there's still a good number of you who have stories like that. And we wonder, don't we? We wonder, could there be anything to this? And then pop culture also is, is permeated with stories of angels. I grew up as a teenager in the 1990s. And in the 1990s, something weird happened in Hollywood and media with TV and movies. There were all of these angel movies and TV shows. Do you remember that? Everything from Disney movies about angels helping a baseball team and um, you know, Touched by an Angel, that was a huge uh, hit show back in, uh, TV show back in the 90s. Um, some of the darker, more sarcastic movies came out. One of my personal favorites, the movie Dogma. Um, all of these, these movies or TV shows dealing with the theme of angels, and I'm not sure they did much other than to confuse us or cloud the issue of what are angels actually about? And it, and it leaves us all wondering, these stories that we hear from people... Um, the things that we see on 
in movies or on TV shows, it leaves us wondering, what's the real story with angels? And I know for some of you, even saying real and angels in the same sentence sounds like an oxymoron to you. But today, I want to say that, that let's just suppose for a minute that angels are real. If they're real, do any of these stories that people share, do any of the stories that emerge in our culture, do any of those interventions resemble anything close to what angels might actually be up to? If there are angels, do they have better things to do than to go around helping uh, you know, father who's crazed out of his mind, slow down, or delivering messages about a child who is to be born. What is it that they actually do if they're real? Now, I believe that angels are real because the Christian scriptures testify to the reality of angels. And so I believe they're definitely real. But I also know that a lot of the stuff that we've come to believe about angels, it doesn't bear any semblance to the reality that is presented in scriptures for angels. So today's message is going to feel a little bit more like a topical Bible study on the topic of angels, which frankly isn't my favorite way to give a message, but I think there's so much that needs to be said about what the scriptures testify to when it concerns angels, and so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at angels according to the Bible, and uh, the first thing I want to share with you is that the Bible defines angels, kind of what is an angel from from the beginning? Um, The Bible says that angels are ministering spirits ministering spirits or servants. Look at what Hebrews says. Uses uses that exact language. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So angels are these ministering spirits, these, these servants sent by God to serve those who will inherit salvation. Who are those who will inherit salvation? It's us. The first thing we learn in the Bible is that angels are sent to help us. And you know what? We see this throughout the scriptures. We see that angels are sent by God to help people in a variety of situations. There are even moments when angels are sent to feed people. Um, People who are hungry, people who are left out in the wilderness alone, people who are destitute. We saw this a couple of weeks ago. Jesus in his own temptation in the wilderness, he had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And then the, the evil one comes and tempts him. And when that's all over, it says, then the angels came and they attended to him. I'm pretty sure that one of them must have come with like a steak or something. Jesus was hungry. And so um, we see examples of that, of angels actually feeding people. But angels, they serve God's purposes in other ways too. They they do other things that maybe are a little little darker, a little scarier. Look at Matthew. It says, this is a parable of Jesus. He says, as weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels And they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin in all who do evil. And they will throw them into the fire, the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a little dark, a little scary, but the point is there are these angels that do nothing but the bidding of God. They're not autonomous. They don't don't do their own thing. Um, You know, they, they don't have their own agenda. They simply follow the agenda of God. And the top of the list of God's agenda is to take care to serve the purposes of those who will inherit salvation, us. Secondly, it says angels, uh, in scriptures it says that angels are messengers. Now I hate to be the first person to tell you this, but Christmas is coming. In fact, it's October tomorrow, right? Um, is that right? It's October tomorrow? Yeah. And, uh, and when it turns October, that means you'll see Christmas trees somewhere, I'm sure. Hopefully not in your house. 
You ought to be ashamed. Um, uh, but, you know, it's, it's coming. It's coming. And when we get into the Christmas stories, here's what we find. That there are all of these angels. And, and the angels in the Christmas story are primarily doing one thing. They're delivering messages. They show up to people and they deliver a message from God about what's going on. About this child that's been conceived. This child that's been born. Over and over again, we see that angels are delivering, delivering messages, uh, messages to God's people. They are these messengers. Um, so, you know, those stories that we hear sometimes about a, a guy who rides his bike into your campsite and later shows up in a dream and announces that you're going to have a son and don't be afraid. Um, the other stories that we might hear about angels carrying messages, those are squarely within the realm of possibility. That's the kind of stuff that angels love to do in the scriptures. Now, it's true that in the scriptures, most often when an angel comes, it comes in glory. It, it comes and it terrifies the people that it's delivering the message to first. Um, and so the first words out of an angel's mouth when it's delivering a message are usually the words, fear not. And then it goes on to deliver the message. But here's what you need to know. If, if you're someone who sometimes feels left out with this stuff, if you kind of wonder like, so why do some people get messages and wh- why don't I? I would love a message from an angel. I would love clarity like that. I would love some explanations of what's going on in my life. Why don't I have that? Here's what the Bible says actually, that we have a better messenger. It says in Hebrews, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. See, it's true that God spoke to people and he delivers messages through prophets or through angels. The scriptures testify. So if someone has a story like that, I, I'm not going to argue. But here's what we know, that we've got a better messenger who's been sent to us. And it is the son of God. It's Jesus. He's the word made flesh. We have his written word and we have his very spirit who testifies to the things that he has told us. So if sometimes you feel left out, sometimes you're looking for a message and an angel isn't showing up, that's okay, we have a better messenger. Third, um, according to the Bible, angels are warriors and they are protectors. Uh, How many of you know where this picture is from? Yeah, what was it? The bodyguard, yeah, good someone said it because I was gonna give you a hint and that hint was to show you my Whitney Houston impression. We'll have to wait for karaoke to do that. But um, uh, yeah, the bodyguard, uh, Kevin Costner, Whitney Houston. Um, you know, this, this idea that there, there are angels that guard us, guardian angels, that's a popular concept in culture. And while the scriptures, I don't think, speak directly to the fact that I've got a personal angel who's looking out for me, or maybe several, my angel needs a break. Um, it does testify to the fact that angels are there to, to serve as warriors and protectors. Look what it says in the Psalms. It says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. You see that? To guard you in all of your ways. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Again, who is this talking about? Who's the you? It's you. <laughs> yeah, it's us, Right? Um, and so here's this promise that, that God has these angels that he commands concerning us for our good and they guard us. They, they sometimes prevent us from striking our foot even against a stone. And, and you know, in my life, I don't, I don't know that I've had an interaction in such a way that makes me go like, oh, that was certainly an angel. I saw something or someone spoke to me and I believe that was an angel. But there have been moments in my life where I have felt the protection of God and I have wondered, I have wondered, could it be that that in that moment, there was an angel that was buffering me. Now, these moments usually happen to me when I'm driving. I don't know what that says about 
either the you know, dangers of driving or the dangers of my own driving. And sometimes, you know what, I wonder, because so many of these angel stories are, are around driving, I wonder what angels did before Henry Ford did his whole thing. Like, they just had a lot of time on their hands or, or what, I'm not sure. But um, there, there are moments, and in fact, I remember one moment in particular, some of my kids were in the back of the car and we're driving and we're out here on, uh, for those of you who are local, Manchester Road, which is a nightmare um, and someone slams on their brakes ahead of me and, you know, I, I kind of catch it a second too late and I hit my brakes and I, I you know, I have that, that thing in my mind that goes, there is no way I'm stopping, look out. And so I slam on my brakes and, and everything kind of falls onto the floor and including, I'll, I'll just confess, including one of my children because I didn't get the car seat buckled right. And, you know, so they, <laughs> hey, if you tell my wife, now it's on them. They're old enough to buckle their own seatbelts. But um, you know, so, so there's this thing, and, 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 and I stop, and there are centimeters, and I, I'm like waiting to feel the impact, and it never comes, and I am in awe. Because I've been driving long enough to know I should have hit that car. And I say to the kids, oh my gosh, praise God. God, God spared us. God spared us. He must have sent an angel down to buffer us, you know, to create a buffer between us and the car. I don't know how that happened, but, but I, I think an angel must have gotten in the way of, of us hitting that car. And uh, one of my kids, you know, much younger at the time, said, oh no, dad, is the angel okay? <laughs> um, but there's precedent. There's precedent. Uh, we saw it in the Psalms that God sends his angels sometimes to protect us, to shield us from bad driving or, or other things that might happen to us in the world, that, that they're there to be our protectors, to guard us. But more than that, not just to guard us in a passive way, not just to you know, cover over our foolish mistakes, but we actually see that angels sometimes defend us in a more active way. They sometimes go on the offense for us. There's also testimony in the scriptures of, of angel armies, uh, or even a single angel going against thousands or hundreds of thousands of enemy armies who are advancing on the people of God. And so it's not just passive stuff. Sometimes angels go into an all-out battle for our good in order to protect us. In fact, again, as we get to Christmas and we sing songs about heavenly hosts, maybe some of us picture of like a you know, well-dressed maitre d' who's got a, a tray like we saw earlier. But heavenly host, do you know that that's actually a military term? When we sing about heavenly hosts, we're singing about heavenly armies. And so we know that according to the scriptures that not only do angels defend us and shield us and protect us and put their covering on us, but they fight for us. They go into battle for us against things seen and unseen. Uh, finally, I won't make too much of this one, uh, but angels are worshipers. And I, I just had to say it because so often when you encounter angels in the scriptures, they're worshiping. They're worshiping God. And, you know, angels have the benefit of seeing God clearly, seeing him fully. There is no veil between them and the glory of God. And so angels become these beings who, who are in a constant state of worship. And, and if you're someone who wants to challenge yourself in your own expressions of worship, your own worship life, and frankly, I know that some of you could use a challenge, because I see when you're deeply moved, how you manifest that, um, you, you stare intently and I think there could be more to us uh, to do that when, when we're really moved. Um, it's that German in a lot of you. Uh, but it's okay. It's okay. If you want to be challenged, if you want to be challenged in your attitude of worship, if you want to see what it looks like to worship differently, just go to the Bible and look at what angels do when they are, in, uh, when they are seen around the throne of God. Uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty remarkable. Now, now, just pause here for a second and look at these roles. 
See, what I can't say in any of those stories that I shared, in any of the stories that you have, I can't say definitively whether that was an angel or whether that was something else. What I can say is that angels consistently function in the scriptures in these ways. And so if there was, a, if there was something that happened where, where um, some, someone, some being served you or, or carried a message to you or protected you or even opened up your eyes to a, a greater degree of worship, then those things might be in line with, or they, they definitely are in line with the things that angels do. And so it could be, it could be an angel. And, and then I've got a couple other things that I want to say about angels that I think are really important. And then we'll go to one other thing. Um, so we also know, according to the scriptures, that angels work among us in disguise. So again, sometimes they come in glory and they say, fear not. And sometimes angels work among us, amongst us, and, and they're hidden. Look what Hebrews says about this. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. In fact, I think the writer to the Hebrews is referencing an encounter Abraham had with some angels back in the book of Genesis, but this has happened several times over in Bible history. Sometimes the angels are in glory and you're terrified, and sometimes you don't even know that it's an angel until later. And so again, this idea that there might be someone who, a doctor in a hospital that later no one has heard of, but they deliver you a word of hope and it's really meaningful to you. Hey, that's well within the realm of angelic activity. And again, we can't say for sure, but we know that angels do operate in disguise. Also, uh, there are such things as fallen angels. And I, I have to mention this because we've spent a couple of weeks talking about evil. And just in the same way that there are these benevolent spirits that do God's work and they work amongst us in, in amazing ways, there are also dark angels that aren't benevolent, they're malevolent, they're nefarious, and they're doing the work of another. Look what Jesus says about them, again in the book of Matthew. A lot of Matthew and Hebrews today. Uh, It says, then he will say, the king will say to those on his left, these are the words of Jesus, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So in the same way that angels, the angels of God can interact with us in a variety of ways, There are these dark angels, these fallen angels. (laughs) Fallen angels, you get it? Not you, you'll get it later. Um, There are these fallen angels who work amongst us. But but here's the thing I just have to tell you about them. Even though they can interact and they can create problems in our lives, they are not as powerful in strength or in number as the angels that work with God. But I I felt like we needed to say that. And then finally, I want to land here. Angels were never human. Now, this seems like a little bit of a theological nitpick, but there's a lot of confusion about this. I I think this is really an important point, though, because a lot of us um, tend to believe that when we die, that we get to inherit our own cloud, and we get a halo and a harp, and best of all, we get angels' wings, and that's how we spend our eternity. But the scriptures don't speak that way. The scriptures actually say that humans and angels are completely different classes of creation, just in the same way that humans and cats are completely different classes. And if you're a cat not lover like me, you know how different those things are. All due respect to those of you who love cats. Um, in the same way humans and angels, we're, we're, we're just different orders of creation. And so this idea that we would later on become angels, I mean, we're different. We're fundamentally different. And, and if today I just broke your heart and you know, dashed your hopes of your eternity spent on a cloud playing a harp with a halo and angel's wings, um, let me just reassure you. 
that although this may sound like a disappointment, I think this is very, very good news. Here's why. Uh, Let's go again to Hebrews. It says this, it is not to angels that God has subjected the whole world to come about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, a place in scripture where someone has said, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Or a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels, yet you crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. There's kind of this irony here, right? That angels are superior to us in power and glory, majesty. They, they see the face of the Father. And yet there's this irony that although angels are higher than us in this order of creation, and sometimes we can envy angels or, or wish that we could be an angel someday, the reality is that, that God put everything not under the feet of angels. He didn't submit the whole created world to angels, but instead he put everything under our feet. See, in, in putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them, to us. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. God does this weird thing, and and this is well within the pattern of how God operates all throughout Scripture. We consistently see that, that God doesn't choose the person or the being that you might expect for a job. He consistently goes with the underdog. And so in the Scriptures, we we learn that um, God chooses the foolish to shame the wise. And God chooses the weak to shame the strong. And and God chooses the second born to become heir of the family. And God chooses the least likely person in a whole community, in the whole world to be used to do amazing things. If you're someone who's sitting here today and, and you feel like that person, the least likely person to ever be used for something great by God, I just have to tell you that you are the exact kind of person that God loves to use. And we see this throughout scripture and, and the way that God inter, interacts with people. But we see even in this higher, um, this higher level, this bigger picture of even his creation. He's created these angels and they're part of his creation and, and they have power and splendor and glory. But it's not to the angels that he's, he's entrusted all of this. It's to us. And that means that, that, that the angels aren't the object of his deepest affection. They aren't his treasured possessions. It's us. Warts and all. See, it's a good thing that we don't become angels. And, and although angels seem superior than us, there's this reality that of everything in all of creation, God has chosen to set his affection on us. He has disproportionately invested himself In us, he loves his entire creation, all things seen and unseen, but not like he loves us. And I'll tell you, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. But I'm so grateful that it's true. And this is not just conjecture. This is not just a theory. I want you to see uh, what the scriptures say. It says, um, but we do see Jesus. So we, we don't see everything. We don't always see that we have dominion over everything in this world. We, we don't always see that we are treasured or special the way we live lives. Sometimes that can be clouded, but here's what we do see. We see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Get this. It says, 
For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. In other words, us. For this reason, he had to be made like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. If you ever doubt your position in this created world, dealing with things seen or unseen, here's what you have to know. Here's what you have to remember. That when when God chose to become like part of his creation, he didn't choose to become like the angels. He chose to become like us. And then after he put on flesh, he gave his life on a cross. He tasted death for us so that we might not have to die, but so ultimately we might become like him. God didn't do that for the angels. He didn't do that for anything else in this creation that he loves. He did that for us. And so whether you ever experience a moment in life where an angel visits you in glory, in disguise, whether or not you you have a moment like that, this is what I want you to leave today knowing. I, I want you to know that God treasures you. And I think sometimes we, we, measure, we measure that against other people and we look at other people and we, and we hear stories of how God delivered someone else's kid but he didn't save our child or how he warned someone else about a danger but he didn't warn us or how God comes to the aid of someone in a situation but he doesn't come to us, whether through angels or some other means. I think we can start to look at that and we can start to question whether we're really valued, whether we're treasured, whether we're loved. We can start to feel envy, not just of the angels, but envy even of each other. And here's what I want you to take away from this. God treasures you more than anything else in creation. And here's what else I want you to take away. We have no idea the lengths that God is willing to go in order to speak into our lives, in order to protect us and defend us, in order to serve us and show his love and kindness to us. We, we have no idea the lengths he's willing to go because, because in my mind, I, I would never would have imagined that God would have put on human flesh to become like us. I never would have imagined that God would have gone to those lengths to taste death himself so that we don't have to taste death. It never would have occurred to me that God would go to the, those lengths. And if someone else would have told me, I would have laughed at them. And yet God has done this. And so what will our God refuse to do for our good. See, I I think as we sit here today, we have no idea the lengths that God is willing to go and we have no idea the things that God has, the powers that God has at his disposal that he can utilize for our well-being. See, in closing, I I just kind of want you to just create a picture in your mind and I'll try to help you with that um, that looks something like this. I want you to picture a palace of a great and powerful king. Maybe if you've been to one of these palaces before, Taj Mahal, the palace at Versailles, Hampton Court Palace, um, a, a great and powerful king's palace, an enormous compound that houses the king and all of his family. Because in a place like that, you also probably know that There are hundreds, if not thousands, of servants 
who work there in that palace. There are servants who do the cooking and cleaning and the baking and the wine pouring and they they stoke the fires and they keep everything perfect for the king and his guests. There are those who are out working in the garden and they do the trimming and they, they, they make sure everything's beautiful outdoors. There are, there are those who come to roll the TV off. Thanks, Jack. Um, there are those who stand guard to protect God's, uh, the king's people, I should say, um, who, who make sure that they're safe from intruders and harm of, of every kind. There are those who, who entertain And if you are the honored guest of the king staying in his palace, there's a good chance that you might not ever see many of these servants at all. In the hundreds or or thousands of servants who are there doing the work of the king, you may not even see many of them, but as a guest of the king, you will benefit greatly from their service. And see, I, I just give you that picture there for a minute to show you that's what it is to be in relationship with our God. See, you are invited into relationship with our God. You are those who inherit salvation. You are the object of his affection. You are his treasured possessions. And so you are invited guests into the house of this great king. And he has demonstrated through Jesus that there is nothing off limits. There is nothing that he wouldn't do for you. He has a deep desire to speak words of direction and love, to to defend and protect you, to give you good things. He's demonstrated that through Jesus. And so whether you ever see with your eyes or perceive these servants of God and, and, and the lengths that God is willing to go for you and the means that he has at his disposal to be used for your good, whether or not you, you perceive that or see that in any tangible way, you can know with certainty that God is always at work on your behalf. And the myriads of servants, the myriads of means he has to work out good things in your life, I mean, they, they would blow your mind if you ever could see them. See, this week, I hope that even if you've never been given an angelic revelation, you you can live with a new mindfulness, a mindfulness of your value, a mindfulness of the invitation you've been extended to dwell in the house of the king, a mindfulness of all of the things that are at work around you all the time that you may never see that are there because there is a God who loves you deeply, who treasures you and is is trying to guard and protect and lead and direct you through a chaotic and sometimes scary world, but he is there for you. And as you live with that awareness, I I hope that that doesn't make you like crazy about angels and and looking for that stuff, but instead what, what I hope that does is that drives you to a deep love and appreciation that drives your heart to a greater worship of a king who treasures us so deeply. In fact, as we close today, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand to your feet and I want you to join with all of the angels in heaven singing a song, a a testimony of the lengths our God has gone for us. Sing with me.